podcast. Resistance is useless. We've heard this so much from movie and TV villains that it's a cliche. But this is what Daniel and his friends were effectively told by their Babylonian captors as they sought to assimilate the young men. When done right, resistance can be useful. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series The Stand with this message entitled Resisting the World's Offer, which covers Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 21. Thank you for joining us today. Well, from my experience, probably from yours too, you probably agree that everybody has a price. Well, maybe not everybody. Most people have a price. This is what I mean by that. I was talking to some high school students a number of years ago, not as a speaker. I was just in conversation with some high schoolers. And I said, let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to go to a neighbor's home and rob them of something in their home that perhaps you want that they have? And let's assume that that you could get away with it and would not get caught. Do you think you might do that if you knew you wouldn't get caught? That oh no 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 wouldn't do that. And why not? Well, it, it's wrong, and uh, you know it would be hurting people that are innocent and so forth. I just no, I wouldn't do that. I said, well, let me rephrase the question: Would you be willing to rob a neighbor if you knew you could get thousands of dollars worth of goods and would never be caught? And you could either sell the goods and get the cash, or you could keep the goods, whatever it is, but you wouldn't get caught, and you get a lot of good, good, good stuff, a lot of stuff. Would you do it then? They said, no, I wouldn't do it. I said, well, let me just ask one other question. I said, if you could rob your neighbor, confident for sure would never get caught, and you would be given $10 million for doing it, would you rob your neighbor? They said, yep. (laughs) I said that this morning in the 9 o'clock, and somebody from the kids said, I would too. (laughs) Oh, well. Everybody seems to have a price. Again, not everybody. We know one man, Daniel, as we're studying the series in Daniel called The Stand. Daniel did not have a price. That's one of the reasons we love Daniel so much. Daniel was one that you realize as you read his story, he had no price. He stood for what he believed. He's going to do it regardless. Now, as we're in this series, it would appear as if this is all about Daniel living a great model, role model, and we're going to learn from him. And kids, if you'll be like Daniel, guess what will happen to you? And God will bless you too. And there's a lot of that. In the, there's so much truth in the scriptures about that. But folks, I'm really, really very, very conscious that we've got to make this clear. The book is not about here is a, is a moral figure that we want to follow and be like him religiously. It is far more than that. I'm going to hit a lot of truths like that in the text even today. But this story is about God. It is not about Daniel. Daniel is just a means by which God will reveal himself for who he is, the great, loving, and sovereign God. Now, what I'd like to do is to give you a quick rehearsal from last week because last week's message truly lays the foundation for the entire series, the whole book of Daniel. If you don't get the first week, the rest will not fully come together. So let me just quickly, quickly give you the outline 
of what we're going through or what we went through this last week. The first of three thoughts was there are two cities in this world. Two cities. And so kids, I know we've got a lot of our young folks here uh, from the camp and so forth. Hear this. Two cities. Now these cities are just used to exemplify two types of people. There is the city of Babylon, the peoples of Babylon. They're called the Babylonians. But through the history of the church from this point forward, Babylon is going to be known as representing people who live their life apart from the truth of God. Now, the city of Zion, which is Jerusalem, but the city of Jerusalem or Zion is used throughout Scripture to refer to those that have their heart focused on the things of God, who embrace the truth. And so the first thing we learn in this great book is that there are two cities in the world in which we live. The reality is that one of the cities, one of the cities is going to, I mean, just do everything to take away the truth of God. That's Babylon. We who are Christians, we are a part of the city of Zion. We are citizens of Zion. So that's number one. The two peoples, got to keep that in mind, two peoples. Number two, the citizens of Babylon have reason to believe that they are the winners. They have good reason to believe. And the reason is because, as we saw in the first two verses, that actually God gave Jehoiakim, who is the king of Jerusalem, the people of God, gave him into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. If you can remember, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And so it appears as if, man, Babylon is winning. I mean, after all, they stole all the goods. I mean, literally took the treasury of Israel from the temple of God. Unbelievable. And so Babylon and, and their king Nebuchadnezzar, they're saying, man, we're the winners, we're the winners. Well, that's what's happening with many of you young people. You're watching the world and not realizing they're two cities and you see one city, and I like to depict it as a ladder, and it has rungs, and some people are climbing really, really, really high on that ladder. And some of you, perhaps, are not getting too high, and it's feeling, oh, it's a desperate feeling of I'm losing, I'm not respected, I'm not admired, I'm not a winner, I'm not popular, I'm not whatever it is. And look how these people are climbing the ladder, and look what it takes to climb that ladder. Look what you have to, look what you have to believe and do and so forth, and and they're putting down people who are trying to come up the ladder, even who are Christian. It's just, it's a challenging thing. Never to realize there's another ladder over here. And we can climb up that ladder. The reality is that we've got two cities, and they think they're winning. And to the very end, it's going to appear that Babylon has won. And when that happens, then God comes in and does his great thing, and we win. There are two cities. The reality is we're in the city of Zion. Number three, the Lord Jehovah is sovereign over both cities. There's the good news. There's the story of the book of Daniel. God's sovereign over both cities. That's why we win, as we'll close out this message and talk a little bit about that. Now, with that being the realities of, of the... Uh, beginning of the book, somebody has, uh, several people said, uh, you know, Randy, you, uh, you preached a little bit more passionately 
this last week than, than normal. I said, I think you're right. One reason is because I'm speaking to our young people. And I like our young people a lot more than I like our adults. <laughs> I, in the leadership of this church, I'll constantly give in to the, whatever the needs of the young people. Let's take the young people, the young people, the young people, the young people. But you know, I guess behind that, there's a little, something even a little deeper, makes it a little bit more special, and that's because I got 13 grandkids, seven and under. And I realize that these little grandkids, this is what I want them to hear. So I made a decision. I am taking this series, and I am, I'm going to have a DVD or whatever, every one of them. I may be dead and gone. When they hit 11, 12, don't know the age, it's going to be a little note with it. It's going to say, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know the book of Daniel. I want you to know the book of Daniel. And I just sit here this morning, an early service, and I just picture them, and they're 16, 15, 17 years of age, and I see them staring at two different ladders, and one so appealing, and the other not so attractive. And then what am I going to do? My word to them, my word to you, to all. Guys, there are two, there are two cities, Jehovah is sovereign over both. The city of Zion wins. There's the message. Now, having said that, I really encourage you, if you were not here last week and you want to be a part of this series, I would get last week's podcast, CD or whatever. I would hope you would do that. Keep in mind, Daniel, young people, 15 to 17 years of age, most think. Teenager, young, young man. He realized that the world had a lot to offer, prestige and popularity and possessions, and he decided not to buy the goods. The issue is not that he decided not to, therefore you decide not to. Why did he decide not to? Because he saw God for who he was. So let's look at the first episode. I think I can break it down into three basic overarching truths that gives us the, the teaching of this particular text within the bigger story. Number one being that the city of Babylon offers its best to those who have the most. He offers his best to those who have the most. Young people, you need to be aware of this. Don't let this catch you by surprise. Here's how it happened in the life of Daniel. We read in verses uh, three through five, then the king ordered Aspenaz, who was the leader of the, the people that he put in charge over Daniel and his friends, the chief is officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That'd be like, give them graduate school, Give them, give them a PhD. Let them have the best of education. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Well, why not take uh, some good food and take a little bit of uh, drinks? No big deal, is it? Well, 
except for the fact that they were citizens of Zion and they had dietary laws that they were to follow to be obedient to their God at that time. We don't have the same dietary laws for us, but he did under God as Jehovah leading Israel. And so they said, well, that's something we just can't do. And so they had to make a choice. Now, I think they knew something that most of us are challenged to buy into. It's really what's found in Proverbs in chapter 30. Many of you a part of this church have heard me teach this because it's one of the most important scriptures to my life, and I use it over and over and over. I won't read it, but it's the story of, you know, the, 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 the wisdom literature author, and he says, he says this, you know what? Two things I ask of you, God, just two things. Don't deny me before I die. Keep lies and deception far from me. Well, okay, understand that. Lies and deception will undermine all of life. So, okay, got that. Pretty smart, though. Most of us wouldn't ask for that. But when he comes to the second one, he says, God, give me neither poverty, which we can understand. But then he says, nor riches. Don't give me riches. What? Riches are not just money. It's how you look, your appearance. It's your mind, your ability to... To, to study and learn and remember and you know it's it's the physical traits and abilities to be able to to be the best athlete and be all I mean, whatever it is it's the best of the best in whatever realm it may be including money and he says don't let me be rich what did he know he knew this that you know if if you're the best you're going to be offered the most and when you get offered the most Oh, you're in big danger of incredible temptation. You're going to have challenges like few people are going to have challenges. You're going to have pain like few people have pain. You're going to have hardship like few people have hardship. It just goes with the territory, so you got to know that. So I'm talking to a, a good friend of mine who I only met in the last few years. And so I've been, I've been you know, working with him a bit and discipling and so forth, and, and we're driving along together, and he shares... Uh, how some things have happened financially for you know him and his wife and where they are in their business and so forth and that you know incredible monies might be coming and uh, and he shared with me how he wanted to use those monies assuming that it happens i couldn't have been more thrilled with what he said the things that, where he wanted to place the money and start a foundation that would go to this that and the other i couldn't have been more thrilled with where that money would be going it would sound like great news and then as he finished i said can i make just a word, give a word of advice, and all it is is one person's advice. It's not, it's not a thus saith the Lord, but can I just give you some advice? He said, sure. I said, I think if I could give you any advice, I'd say you work as hard as you can within the time limits and restraints of family and everything else. You give it your very, 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 very best that you might be able to see this become a reality. And then hand in hand with that, I would advise you, pray to your God that he would not require you to be successful. Now, those two almost sound contradictory, but they're not. You see, that scripture is not a call to mediocrity. We give it our very best. And if God, if we understand, you know, we think, okay, here, this is riches. That's the best. Down here, that's poverty. That's the worst. Somewhere in the middle, well, it's okay, but not great. No, no. In God's economy, if you give it your very, very best and you're at the top, there's the best place to be. That's what you'd love. And if you do find yourself 
in a place where you have the riches and God grants it, man, you'll be saying, this is not what I'm after and I'll steward it. I'm not going to hold on to it and get destroyed like most movie stars and most great professional athletes and so many of the that just cannot keep it because, and I want to say keep it, I mean keep their life, keep their character, keep their peace, keep their joy, keep the things in life that they want. And so I think there is a great truth here that, that we learn in Daniel, and that is watch out. The city of Babylon offers its very best to those who have the most, right? You watch. You sharp, you go to college, you're going to get the bids to the fraternity and the sororities. It's going to be great temptation. Should you not be in a sorority or a fraternity? I didn't say that. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be harder than most. And there's the challenge. You see, we got people today that believe, oh, it's over here. No, you just, you just don't, uh, you don't try. You don't even try because it's so bad. You just don't, no. And people that say, I got to go for it. I got to get it because it's so important. No, it's both. God, I'm going to give it my best. God, if you would, let me just have enough. And that's the teaching of Proverbs. Number two of our three teachings, the city of Babylon will seek to eliminate the distinctives of the citizens of Zion. Verses six and seven reads like this. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now many of us are familiar with those those uh, terms, we hear da Daniel in his original name and then the others uh, in their new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, here's what's happened. These, all four of them, come in as these nobles and the best of the best of these young teens. And here's the king of Babylon looking at them and saying, look at their names. What in the world are we letting these people keep these names? Do you know that all four of their names had the name of God embedded in their names? I mean, really, you look at Daniel and, and uh, Mishael. El at the end is the word El from Elohim. It refers to God. Uh, those names literally mean God is my refuge and God, or who is like God. And then Hanani and Azariah, uh, their, their names both have a condensed portion of how you would refer to Jehovah. And so... Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, we're not going to have them remembering their God in their very name. We gotta, we've got to disassociate anything from their beliefs of God and his ways. We've got to strip that from them. And so they give them new names. All of their new names, by the way, have embedded into them the name of one of the gods that they worshipped. Like Abednego, Nego was one of the gods of the Babylonians. So now, every time they're called, they're going to be reminded, oh, now you got the name of the new gods. Forget the old gods. They want to just get rid of all the distinctives of the kingdom of Zion. And that's what life is going to be in this world with two cities. Young people, they're going to, people in your schools, the Babylon of your school. The Babylon of your school is going to say, you know what? We're going to give you new names. And your name is going to be pathetic. Your name is going to be loser. Your name is going to be, are you kidding me? 
Are you serious? You won't do what? And they'll do everything in the world to tear us down and to get us away from our beliefs. Same is true in the marketplace. Oh, no. Now, not if you just say, hey, I'm a Christian and I go to church and you live like everybody else and you know different. They don't see, oh, that's, that's perfectly fine. But I'm talking about where we take on the passion for the kingdom of Zion and say, I'm fighting for the kingdom of Zion for which I live. Then they're going to come up and say, oh, 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 let's get rid of some of these distinctives. Uh, we don't like these things. It is true. The city of Babylon will seek to eliminate the distinctives of the citizens of Zion. The only way it's going to work for us, Christian, is we got to go on the offense. We can never just simply be in the defense. We make it a new offensive. Not by being offensive, but by living offensively, not defensively. I think you know what I'm talking about. Number three, the third and final. The citizens of Zion must be resolved not to compromise the convictions of their kingdom. Verses 8 to 21 tell us the story there. Beginning in verse 8, it reads like this, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. It's an interesting point there where he says he made up his mind. That's the beginning point. Young people, I'm going to close out in just a few minutes, and I'm going to talk about how it begins in the mind, but it never ends there. But you have to begin by the making up of the mind. We have to hold our convictions. And so four simple in, uh, insights that come out of this third point, I think, kind of summarize the rest of the teaching. Let me just read them quickly and comment because it looks like this. Number one, it is in the small matters that great victories are won or lost. Now, young people, you got to know this. It's in the small things. It's not the big stuff. Small things turn into big stuff, but it always begins with the small things. In fact, I love how Luke 16.10, let me throw it up. It goes like this. He who is faithful in a very few things is faithful in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. A lot of reality to that truth. I know this. When I was talking to a, a deacon in our church, came to see me. And he said, Randy, I've got a confession to make, and I'm, I'm, I'm just humiliated to have to share it with you, but I've been unfaithful to my wife. I could not have been more shocked. This is a man of high integrity, deep faith, commitment, as I assumed. I said, what happened? How did this ever get started? He said, I'll tell you exactly where it started. I know the very minute it did. I'm thinking he's about to give me some detail of meeting a woman somewhere and whatever. He says, it started in my car when I was all alone. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, I've always had a deep conviction. I mean, there's within some, I'm not a legalist or a few miles over the limit, but I'm talking about I'm going to stay within what's appropriate speed limit. He said, all of a sudden I got faster and faster and it didn't bother me. And I found myself breaking the law, speeding. And it just didn't seem to bother me. That's where it started. Then it got to be where it really bothered me if I didn't spend time with the Lord. Even in the times I didn't have this great feeling, I said, well, this is something that I do because this, is, this feeds me regardless of my feeling. I've got to be fed. And, and I would get fed and get nurtured. And I started kind of weaning it down and getting away from it and getting away from it. And finally, it didn't even bother me. He said, Randy, this is the end of a process that began with those little things. That is so true. That's where it always seems to start. And I'm going to say to you young people, now is the time to make 
lifetime decisions. Decisions begin in the mind. You gotta say, am I gonna feed on the word of God? Where am I gonna go? What am I gonna do? Who am I gonna do it with? You gotta make some hard decisions now because it's in the little things that'll take you away. One of my greatest challenges as a young believer in my high school with my youth group. Man, our school was known as a party in school and they had the checkers and the charlies and they were drinking clubs and you know, mild now compared to the drugs and everything else that's going on. But I'm telling you, they were the wild guys in and, and I tell you, it was just, it was a wild place to be and I was a part of a youth group as I came to the Lord and I'm part of this youth group and, and I kept seeing some of the things that so many of them would be willing to do as part of their faith. They'd say, it doesn't matter, it's a small deal, no big deal, no big deal. And I remember then having to make a decision. Am I gonna, am I gonna be faithful in all things or, or big things? How does this work? No, it's gotta be in all things. So you've got to decide now that you're gonna do just that. But that's not gonna get you through, but it's where it starts. It's in that decision. A second sub-point looks like this. There are risks to be taken and benefits to be gained when committed to standing up for one's convictions. Certainly, Daniel knew there was risk. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So he's going, Daniel, please, you know, Daniel's saying, I just can't, I can't eat this food. I, I can't drink that drink. I just can't do that. It's not part of my dietary laws. I'm under the convictions of God, and I've got to do it. And this guy says, hey, you're going to kill me and you. There were some great risks that he was taking. And by the way, just so we don't get the wrong perception of the Bible, when you do that, which you believe to be the will of God, it directly is what God would want you to do, and you can do it with the right motive, you can still fail. He could have been martyred. In this story, he's not martyred. We've God had a different plan in this story. But he knew the risk that he was running. But one thing he wouldn't do, and that is sacrifice or compromise his convictions. He said, no way. Then we see in verse 9, Verse 9 says, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. So in this case, God showed favor in a very clear way. Number three, there are often other creative alternatives. Notice the word often, not always. Enabling one to obey God without offending Babylon. So the end of verse 8 reads like this. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And then in verses 11 through 13. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, the four guys, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. You see, what they did is they brought an alternative and said, well, I realize that you say I have to eat and my law says I can't eat. Is there an alternative? And so he makes a suggestion for an alternative. I think very, very wise to do that. I realize that there are extremists, conservatives, 
as Christians who take a stance all the time. I mean, it's everything this way. But when I wait, yeah, we're going to do everything to keep our convictions. We're not going to ever go against the way of God. But, but maybe there's a way to still be here doing what we're doing and not breaking our convictions. There are people who say, they, they should just say, we're, we're not going to do anything. Or we're, you're the Babylonians and we don't listen to anything you say. That's not what Daniel does. He asks, is there an answer to what might take care of the problem? We're right now facing in our nation an incredibly difficult time. The Supreme Court has ruled. We know the ruling. We understand what is now in terms of law. And there's some that are over here saying, well, in light of this, we're going to do this, and we've got to do this. And, and then there are other people who are not so extreme conservative that are all on this side and say, well, if you've got to compromise, you compromise, and, you know, so be it. And we want to be accepted by Babylon, and we want Babylon to love us, and we don't want to offend Babylon, and so forth. And so we'll just compromise, compromise. Folks, neither one of those should be options to us. If we have to, we say we don't compromise and so be it what happens to us. But on the other hand, maybe there are some things we can say, well, let's consider. We're not going to compromise our faith, but would you be if we did and could we and should you understand and so forth? And, and maybe along the line, God would even use us among the Babylonians. There may be alternatives in certain cases. There was here in this particular situation. I journaled a while back, but I kept this journal note. This is what I wrote. I said, we often disguise our foolish stubbornness in the cloak of conviction and then boast of our spirituality. I'll give you an illustration. Just an illustration of how we can sometimes find an alternative. A man in this church came to faith. A man came to faith as a result of being in our church and so forth, was married, and uh, his wife didn't come to faith. And she was not real happy with where he was going in his faith. And so he came to me one day and he said, you know, I realize that my deep, you know, one of my commitments and what I'm doing is really hurting and offending my wife and she doesn't like it and so forth. So I need to pull off my commitment and really not walk so, you know, strong as I have been trying to do up to now. I looked at him and said, do you think there might be an alternative that we could at least try? What do you mean? I said, well, just what if, what if instead of you backing off your faith, what if you ask her for forgiveness for Perhaps maybe when you've been judgmental or perhaps you have, you have um, been controlling. But what if instead of, of um, trying to change her, what if instead of that you decided, I'm going to start serving her? Well, he chose to do that. And they are happily married. Everything I know, been in this church for years, have no reason to believe anything other than she came to the Lord and she loves the Lord. She's here too. Yeah, there, there can be alternatives very often. We come to verses 15 through 20, and it kind of tells you there were benefits in this case. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better. They were fatter in all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. By the way, there are some extremists too that go, be careful, don't go to God's word and bring something out that's not intended and say, all right, here's the way we're supposed to diet, you know, Meat's bad, this is bad, drink bad. We, we got to go back to this diet. This is the diet you got to have. I'm not saying it couldn't be a healthy diet. I'm just saying God's not telling us this is the diet. This were the dietary laws of Israel, all right? So the overseer continued to withhold the choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge 
and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all the, the kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting, presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Amazing how God blessed. Last point is one not in your outline. It was deleted. It should have been there, but let me give you the fourth point, and it would be this, very important. God wants to put his faithful people into every legitimate facet of life within the kingdom of Babylon. He wants us to be there. Look at verse 19 again. We just read it. It goes like this. The king talked with them. Out of them all, not one was found like these guys, so they entered the king's personal service. Well, God put them there. And the same is true with us. They mixed it up with the Babylonians. We need to mix it up with the Babylonians. If we want to see the kingdom of Babylon come into an encounter with the kingdom of Zion, we've got to be in there with them. We just can't meet here, join, keep quiet, move out, and then come back. And No, we've got to be out there where they are. And how many of our youth right now are preparing their little talk for their parents and say, did you hear the pastor? I need to get out there. I need to go to these parties. I'm telling you, this is important. You know, I got to be in Babylon. This is Babylon. Mom, this is Babylon. Dad. No, your parents have the judgment on that one because of what I'm about to say. We do need to play golf with the Babylonians. (laughs) We need to play tennis with them. We need to eat with them. I mean, we really do. We need to mix it up with them. But there's a little formula of understanding, and here's the way it goes. There's a maturing process that I'm about to tell you as I close. There's a maturing process. Early on, when we're weak, 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 there's some places we say, no, I don't mix it up there with those Babylonians. I don't go there now. I don't do that. And somebody needs to have judgment beyond me to tell me when I'm ready. But when we become more and more and more mature, that's when we go more into the depths of the world of the Babylonians. We've got it backwards. Now what's happening is the very immature, put me out there, and they're getting slain. And the more mature drawing in and saying, let's just stay in the comfort of our Christians. Let's stay in Zion and not touch the Babylonians. No, we, we got to get out there when we're ready and as we're ready. The reality is we got to be with them. we got to be in their kingdom. We have got to remain loyal to the kingdom of Zion. And while we're doing this, we need to in every way live differently than the kingdom of Babylon. That's the formula for making an impact. Now, having said all of that, I want to close. And this is where I think we need to hear the process of maturity. Young people, this is the time. Now is the time to make up our mind and say, I will not defile myself. But if that's how you think you're going to win this battle, you will lose. Trust me. Willpower will never carry you through when the $10 million is offered to steal the 
It's not. Willpower won't do it. There's a new power. It's a power that God gives to us. We've got to rely on that power. The reality is, is that we do this because we know two things to be so true. We know the love of God and we know the sovereignty of God. See, moralism says, I've got it in me to be able to do what I need to do and I'll become what I need to become. But the faith of Christum says, no, you don't have the ability. You don't have the power. Your greatest mindset commitment is not going to get you there. You've got to have more. And you've got to understand truth. And that's where maturity begins. Young people, if you want to mature, it starts with the mind. It begins with truth in the mind. If you don't get truth in the mind, it is not going to help you. If you live your life, adults too, if you live your life, and I just kind of read a little verse here and read a little verse there, and no truth, really flooding. I'm not marinating my mind. I'm not marinating my heart with the truth. I'm not really dwelling on truth. I don't memorize it. I don't read it. I don't study it. I don't pray over it. I just, I just kind of do my little deal. Well, then truth is maybe, maybe in the mind, but it never becomes a belief. Let your heart and mind marinate on truth as we should. Guess what happens? Truth turns into a belief, and we really believe it. It doesn't take a lot to turn truth into belief, but there's a whole lot more left to go. Because once we get a belief, we need to get to the place of their convictions. How many people we're meeting, Christians, who say, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe, and you say, look how you live. Why do you live that way? Why? Because it's not a conviction. You got to let it marinate, come over your heart and mind, and you live in it, among it, and with it, and you begin to mature. Guess what happens? Now, you go from conviction, you now go to a place where you really can say, wow, look, I've got behavior now. But you know the truth of it still is your behavior, it'll impact your behavior. You'll start behaving differently. But sometimes it's very dutiful, and that's the way it is, because that's the, that's the beginning phase. You're still in a maturing process. And then you keep at it and keep marinating, keep maturing and so forth. Guess what happens? That thing that becomes a behavior, which is just duty, turns into passion, and it becomes a delight. You see, when you're over here and you've got this passion, you're at the place where you've got your conviction that's really now become what you really have asked to be a, a behavioral difference and you're, you're butting into this idea of passion and so forth. Get out there as much as possible. You can take some risk. And as you see, you're failing in the risk, pull back. But folks, when you're a young person and you're over here, look, you got to get truth, and you're just not now getting truth. You're just building your beliefs, and you say, hey, I'll go into Babylon. Let me tell you, they will take you down. you got to say, no, i got to let this thing mature a little bit. And as you mature deeper and deeper, and the younger you mature, the more you can quickly get out. But you've got to watch. How is my maturity going? But please don't believe. I can just get my beliefs, and I'll hear my beliefs, and that's good enough. i got my beliefs. Oh, I've got my behaviors. No, we need to get to where it's a passion. And it's got to be a conviction before it ever becomes a passion. If you're living in some duty, but you've got to write theology, understand, that's okay. It's part, of a, it's part of a maturing process. But where you want to get is passion. You want to get there where you can do it with delight. Young people, live for the kingdom. You start up the other ladder and realize this. This other city... Babylon, it's going down. You're going to be the real winner. I say that to all youth. I say it to my grandkids. I say it to all of us as adults.
this week. Let's be citizens of Zion. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we look to the cross and the cross alone to give us the ability to do this. Had you not suffered and died and shown such love, had you not pierced us with your Holy Spirit and dwelt us with him, we would not be able to do any of this. So we now rely upon you. We remember your sovereignty. We remember your love. And in light of that, we say, God, we want to live as your citizens, citizens of Zion. Thanks for the privilege to do so and lead any of us now that are not citizens of Zion to have a deep conviction of need and say, Lord, make me your citizen now. I want your love and sovereignty to rule my life. Thank you that we can ask it. We pray in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.